Hey there, Danny with Right Foot Down. I messed up this ad read so many times because I really wanted to tell you about Track Monkey Apparel. They make great quality, enthusiast shirts along with hats, stickers, watches, patches, you name it. A couple of my personal favorites are their Life is Better at the Track tee and their One Track Mind tee. You should really check them out and see for yourself. Their products are great for you or the gearhead in your life. Visit trackmonkeyapparel.com. You're listening to the Untitled Car Show in partnership with RightFootDown.com. Visit RightFootDown for your daily automotive fix. If you enjoyed today's program, please tell a friend. It's the best way to support this show. If you want to visit the archives, go to YouTube and search for Untitled Car Show. That'll bring you to the archived episodes. If you want to follow this show, just search for Untitled Car Show on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can always send an email to the show at untitledcarshow at rightfootdown.com. We're so glad you decided to spend the next hour or so with us. Without further ado, let's get into today's program. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Ike. As always, we have Ryan... Uh, <laughs> I just said this, Brout, 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 man, I'm, I suck at pronouncing names, Brett. I, I wrote it down phonetically and I can't even read my own phonetic, Ryan Brett, he is also known as the automotive archaeologist, he takes wonderful pictures, um, writes some great articles about uh, fascinating vehicles that he finds while he's uh, driving across this uh, great country called America, how are you doing this evening, Ryan? I'm doing well, sir. How about yourself today? I am doing very well, thank you. Sorry about... I wrote it phonetically. Uh, I feel like I always oh. have to start by apologizing oh. for the terrible name pronunciation. Oh, don't worry. Trust me, there's a lot uh, more things out there for me to worry about than uh, how people say my last name. <laughs> well, l let's kind of get into uh, what you're doing at the moment when it comes to why people should be interested. So you take some very fascinating photos of I guess you call them barn find vehicles or maybe roadside relics. Like, how do you describe exactly what it is that you do? Um, that's basically it. Uh, what it is is vehicles that have been sitting neglected for an extended period of time. Um, usually I, we just say barn finds for the ease of your mind can automatically picture what kind of condition the car is in. Instead of trying, I mean, yeah, it could be a garage find or sitting in a junkyard or something. But uh, that's what I do is I travel around, um, mostly the Midwest, but I try to get out beyond that as often as I can. And I uh, follow up on leads or just drive around looking for cool cars in uh, weird, neglected situations. What I find fascinating is how did you, like, decide that you were going to do this and start posting it out onto the Internet? Uh, well, Many years ago, before I was even a real car, car guy, um, I had a 1990 Dodge, or I'm sorry, a Ford Taurus wagon. And not a cool car. It was just a something to beat on. And unfortunately, someone had stolen the radio out of it. Um, so I know who in the heck wants a tape deck, even in the 90s. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> A Ford tape deck of all things, too. Yeah, it was weird. So I knew, my father knew someone that could get a CD player installed. So I went to his shop and... 
it'll take a few hours, so he'll let me wander around. And they had two big bays of cars to work on, and then between them, there's a little crossover area. And in the middle of this crossover area was a black 71 Cuda covered in junk. I mean, just completely buried. Um, and I'm looking, and this thing was fully decked out. It had gills on the fenders, cheese grater grill, the the road lights. I mean, this thing was cool. And I walked around that thing for probably a good hour, just be like, man, this is so cool. And here's this thing just sitting here in a random shop in Chicago. I mean, if this cool car is here, what else is out there? And I found this by accident. So that car, I can say, is the is what flipped the switch in my brain. And I started, you know, talking to people about it. I started, you know, putting um, – I started driving around, like, in my free time looking for old cars. I followed up on the leads, and I started uh, a blog, and I started writing about it, and it all went downhill from there. Well, h- how did you – you know, you stumbled across the first one. How did, like, the second one, the third one, like, how did this start snowballing into what it is today? Well, it really was just talking to people. Um, really, just the first ones were just driving around. Um, I'm lucky enough, my family has a place in Wisconsin in our free time. I would just drive my Chevy Lumen at the time, just up and down farm fields, go to the little farms, and just look in the fields. I mean, I found GTOs. I found a Cobra Torino that way. And um, as things progressed and I started putting more and more stuff out on my blog, um, people started giving me feedback and letting me know, oh, hey, I know about a, you know, a Hemi Cuda and a barn in, in Wisconsin. Um, and then things really took off. I was accidental. I wasn't accidentally, but I was at a auction at college. For a friend of mine and it was an old 53 hemi new yorker it was junk it was complete junk ride it out and it was the last thing at the auction and so all day i waited for this thing to come up to be bid on and i talked to people and one guy's like oh yeah there's a guy just down the road that has a field full of chargers <laughs> and i'm like of course never heard of it so after the auction i didn't win Drove over there, and there was a field full of chargers. Talked to the owner. He's like, yeah, do you want to come see the Superbird that's in the barn? <laughs> of course. There's a Superbird in the barn. Walk over this barn, opens it up. There it is, an original. Oh, it's a, now I know a white Superbird originally, but there's a blue Superbird sitting in the dirt, flat tires, snow tires even. <laughs> and I put that up online, and that really took it off. After I posted that with all these Chargers and Super Bs, I mean, that really put me on the map, and it it really uh, started getting attention all around the Internet. It's, it's fascinating to me that these people have these things in their, like, barn or they have them on their property, and, like, it's you know, tens of thousands of dollars in some cases for some of these old rare collectible cars. And the Superbird, I'm sure even more than that. Do you find when you're talking to them, do they have like a knowledge of what it's worth? Or is this something where like they're just like completely just car people and like the thought that it's worth money just kind of escapes them? Oh, no, especially with these cars in the modern era, most people know that the car is rare. I mean, especially Superbirds and that that kind of vehicle um, they were rare even when new, so they knew to hang on to them. That's why how come so many survived 
um, into the modern era. But uh, some of the more, you know, like I know of like a Hemikuda that's been in a garage since 1976. I mean, it literally has like 50,000 original miles, original exhaust. And the guy didn't care. He saw the stuff on the internet, knew it was rare, just let it sit. <laughs> and there's all, there's the whole spectrum. Um, another one recently, I found a real, probably one of the rarest 70 Chevelles in the country, in the world probably, uh, SS 454 convertible, LS5, four speed with AC, power windows. I mean, it's amazing car. And it literally has been sitting in a front yard for 40 years and a tree has fallen on it but but restored it's a i don't know let's say a hundred two hundred thousand dollar car and the guy has no concept of it none it's ridiculous it's mind-boggling to me that like because that's like if they were doing it on purpose where like it was an investment and they knew it it would be like, oh, these people are like freaking geniuses, but it's kind of almost like, um, you know, I'm sure like the kids are just sitting there, like just wait for Pop Pop to pass away, so that way we can sell that thing. It's sitting under a tree, but it's probably worth at least fifty thousand, even like being crushed by a tree, like, d- or oh, what- absolutely. Yeah. Unfortunately, right now you see that happening a lot. Is these older gentlemen are passing away or getting to that age and their kids have no interest in these cars so literally they're selling them for not peanuts but they're literally selling oh i saw this one on you know bear it's it's either two sides of the spectrum it's either they want a ton of money because they saw one on bear jackson on on the internet or you know on the tv or it's the other side is you know this thing is a rotted out piece of junk just get it out of here you know give me a grand or two and I've seen both ends. I haven't been partaking of the lower end, unfortunately, because that's very rare. But I have seen it happen. Well, let's kind of take a step back here, because I'm, I'm sure I've heard you on at least another podcast. And this, it seems like uh, we could sit here and chit-chat about all the uh, particular cars you found. But what I kind of find fascinating is how did, and something I always like to ask the guests is, like, how did you find yourself like getting interested in cars in the first place? Really, um, my father, it's not, actually, my father had nothing really to do with it. It was really that 71 Cuda. Um, That thing really just flipped the switch. It was such a cool car that was, in theory, accessible to a young kid. And it was undiscovered. People didn't know about it. And it's treasure. I knew it was worth money, and it's cool. And that just started it all, sadly. And here I am today. So you were already driving, which is kind of similar to uh, the way I kind of got interested in cars. So you were already driving uh, when you kind of started falling in love with automobiles. Then, so absolutely, yeah. No, I was not a car guy at all. Even after that point, I mean, it, it took a long time for it to take hold. I really, I didn't have any desire. I mean, my second car was a was a bare bones Chevy Lumina with. I kid you not, two gauges. It had a speedometer and a gas gauge. That's it. And looking back now, it's just like, wow. <laughs> and driving that thing around the Midwest, uh, there's a lot of distance, and you could use some gauges just for the entertainment value. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, my, my wagon, I mean, my, my Lumina, 
didn't even have cup holders. Oh. I mean, it was I ninety three Lumina. What doesn't have cup holders by ninety three? I mean, it was crazy. I mean, it drove me up the wall. And then I finally upgraded to a Dodge Ram Charger, and that thing had every gauge. It was a police truck, so it had every gauge you could imagine, and everything worked. It was a definite step up. Yeah, the one thing I I have to give Dodge and you know Chrysler in general is they understand the American need for giant ass cup holders like the. Uh, the, the I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, it's you. You wonder why, like a lot of people, because I used to live. I grew up in Chicago, you know, just outside rather, and I moved out here to the East Coast, uh, you know, around the time I turned twenty one. And the people here don't understand, like the car guys are like, why do all these Mopars end up in the Midwest? These things are notorious for rusting. And what I kind of go back to is Mopar were the people who understood Midwesterners best because they gave you places to put shit to while you were eating and driving. Because that is like, you're going from Chicago to St. Louis. It's going to be a four and a half hour trip. I got to eat an entire pizza along the way. Like that's just how it operates out there. So. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, everything like I'm in Chicago right now. I'm actually in Skokie, just north. And I mean, the closest big city, I'd say, is let's say Milwaukee. And that's an hour away. But like I said, Indianapolis, that's a four hour drive. St. Louis, that's five to six. I mean, it's ridiculous. But that's what's great about the Dodges. They allow you to do that in style. Style and have some fucking cup holders, which Ford never quite got, I don't think. The... um. Yeah, my my wagon had these weird push-in cup holders. You'd it, they would disappear in the dash, and you could pull them out. And they always broke. And I had two Chevys. I have a Caprice, and I had my Lumina. Neither of them had cup holders. Yet my 1990 Dodge minivan, which I drive right now as a beater, has like 12 cup holders. Mm-hmm. I don't understand it, but it's wonderful. Yeah, I had. I went from a. Uh, Mercury Tracer was my first car, uh, which had a cup holder, I want to say, like hidden in the dash, to the Saturn, which had the world's smallest cup holders, to a Dodge Challenger, one of the newer ones. And, like, you could take, like, an entire big gulp, like one of the ones, like, you get, mm-hmm. like, with the slushing, you could just, like, put that thing in the center console. Like, this is where my diabetes goes. But, oh, yeah. No, I have a 2009 Challenger also, and... Uh... Yeah, no, I love the cup holders in that thing. That even the new, the new ones that were redesigned in uh, fifteen, mm-hmm. there's even more cup holders. I know. I've it, noticed. Yeah, I, I had some issues with my Dodges. I, I hope you didn't have the same issues with yours, but well, you still have yours, so obviously. <laughs> but it's well, like, so, my oh, Challenger Jet yeah, just rolled over a hundred and sixty thousand miles on it. Wow, I've been impressed. So. It's a 09, so is that the when it only was the SRT 8 and it only came in, like, two colors? Uh, no, th- this was the first year that you could get the full lineup of colors and the full, the RT, the SE, or the SRT. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have a B5 Blue RT Classic, which is the chrome rims, the 71-style side stripe, and then that nice bright blue. Mm-hmm. No, I, I know which one you're talking about. I, I It was... I owned two, actually, because I'm a crazy person. Um, mm. And uh, the first one was a black RT, and the second one was the uh, Blackberry Pearl RT. But both times, there was one of that color with that setup at the dealership. And I was like, 
uh, it's so gorgeous looking, but it, it's just a little too, and no offense on this, it's a little too old man for me. Like, that is a car for the generation who knew these things back in the day, which I never did. So, uh, did you have the same thing, though, when you drove that thing around when it first came out where everyone had to stop and tell you their stories about, you know, neighbors and relatives who had Dodge products back in the day? Oh, they, I still do. I mean, it's still... It's a great conversation piece, and that's one of the reasons I specifically went with this for my adventures, because I can show up at a guy's house, and he can appreciate, oh, he's a muscle car guy, and he, you know, I drive tons of miles, but it's cool. It's, you know, it's different than every other Challenger within reason, and still to this day, I get people telling, you know, I was at Home Depot a little while back, and a guy stopped me as I was leaving to tell me how he liked my car, and how he had one when he was younger, and so on and so on. It's a wonderful uh, piece to use as a conversation starter. No, I absolutely agree. Even if you don't want the conversation sometimes. Uh, the, yeah, I've been there too. Yeah, like, I am in a rush and trying to get to somewhere. Uh, can we have a conversation later? I will give you an email address. Well, let me just tell you about my, uh, like, cousin's friend who lived down the street, like, all right, Pappy, I'm just going to get in the car. Have a good one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I get that all the time, even without the car. I mean, just because of, you know, being the, the way I do things. Yeah, once you get some people going, it doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, to, <laughs> to that point, you, you've met, I'm sure, a lot of um, interesting folks along your journey doing this, you know, taking leads from, you know, basically strangers to go meet other strangers out, you know, probably if not at their house, close to their house. So I'm sure you've met some characters. Has there ever been a time where you've been really scared about going out and meeting someone or has there even been like a house where you pull up and you're like, you know what? No, I just got a bad feeling about it. Oh yeah. No, I've, I've been in places like in Detroit where, Supposedly stuff's supposed to be sitting in. There's wonderfully beautiful parts of Detroit that I love. I mean, I love Detroit. And then there are some parts that I won't stop at a stop sign. I mean, I will just go through. Um, never, though, I've ha- I've never had one where, you know, it's I'm actually worried about myself. I'll never put myself in that position. I've had a few instances where, uh, also, I don't trespass. I'll, I'll, everything I do is completely legal. I w- will always go knock on the door first. And ask for permission to see the car and such. Um, so I've, I'm, you know, never had really a gun pulled on me, you know, for going and walking through someone's yard or such. Um, I've had some definitely interesting characters that I've met in my travels, and uh, definitely, com- I mean, I've had the entire spectrum from crazy to completely wackadoodles, as they say. <laughs> That's uh, a technical term, wackadoodles. Uh, it, it is. It <laughs> is, sadly. Yeah. So, I mean, I imagine the majority of people you're talking to when he goes to these, has there ever been a time when it's not someone like 50 or above? Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. There's still people, you know, the guy with the Hemi Cuda, he's a young kid now. Um, the father had passed away, and he had inherited it, and let me see it. Um, there's a lot of people in there, you know, they're getting them secondhand, thirdhand now in their 30s. Well, not maybe not 30s, but 40s, maybe 50s. But, yeah, most of the people I meet are 50 and above for the most part. 
And like, because you're going out, you're meeting all these people, you're uh, looking at all these like crazy old, you know, derelicts, I guess is a good way to put it. Like, cause most are not in show quality by any stretch of the imagination. Do you think that's had like an impact on like your taste in automobiles as you like look at all these things? Are you the sort of person now who appreciates a patina on a vehicle you would personally own? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm fortunate enough. I'm involved in the muscle car and Corvette nationals in Chicago. Um, it's the best muscle car show in the country, bar none at the quality of the cars, and literally, I mean, I've walked past, I mean, I've walked, I mean, literally in the show we had 27 Hemi e-body convertibles, the most ever one spot. And yet the barn find section, which I run, is always packed because the cars that aren't perfect are unique. They have a story. They're, there's nothing like them else in the world. And I love seeing that. I love seeing the car that... The guy remembers how he got this scratch on the fender when, you know, he put his wife up on there and kissed her. Or, you know, he went drag racing and his tire exploded and put this dent in the quarter panel or something. I love, I can, you can literally go walk at a car show and see a row of 69 Camaros and, you know, 69 Corvettes or whatever. But that, you know, 72 Demon, that's, you know, original paint, original engine that, maybe the original owner or the owner's son or something that's a lot more interesting to me than the cars that are completely perfect mm-hmm. well it's fascinating you say that because i had like a realization as you kind of were talking there the people who own the pristine cars um i've had you know go to car events go out to these places um a good example would be Carlisle last year. Went out to Carlisle and uh, Ford Nationals talking with people as I go by. The people who have the pristine cars were very, like, clicky almost. But the people who had the car you could tell had been there and seen stuff, they seemed a lot more genuine, a lot more open, a lot more willing to tell you why this car matters and, like, share stories back and forth. And you never oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, because because the car is left in that condition uh, for a reason most of the time. That car, that the, those battle scars, it has earned them over thirty, forty, fifty years. They want to tell the story. They want to say why is this car in this condition? If it's a perfectly restored car, it, that's great. But you can see exactly it's a perfectly restored car. You don't know. There's nothing to it. It's 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 a diamond. You don't know the history about how it was, you know, sitting in a farm field for, you know, 10 years or such. I mean, and the people want to tell you there's they there to show and tell why the car is in that in that shape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I it's just so fascinating cuz there's this new like were you ever a did you ever have a rat rod phase? Not really. I'm not into making something ratty. Yeah. Or I mean, there's a, these there's these ratty muscle cars which are just get your just get a muscle car running and driving, which is great. But you know that's not quite the same thing as an original car or 
you know, a car with an actual story. It's taking a a cool muscle car and getting it running and driving, but it, it's not in my mind, it's not quite the same thing. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I was going to ask you is about how you felt about like the new kind of uh, generation of just get it going, like because that's kind of the new rat rod in my mind. Like, not... I, I could definitely see that. I, well, the rat rods I see as you know an actual purpose. Like these guys, you know, are chopping and channeling, and they're making them on purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, ratty. While the rat muscle cars are more. You know, you pull them out of the field, you get them running and driving, and driving them as, as is. And I I work with Hot Rod and Roadkill, and that's wonderful. I mean, because you don't see this much anymore. You know, muscle car shows and car shows are dying off because these people won't drive them. And it's great that these guys are doing whatever they can, whatever they need to, to get the car going and drive it and enjoy it. And get out on the roads and not sit in a, you know, a parking lot for eight hours waiting for a plastic trophy yeah well that that's kind of you know the i enjoy i actually really enjoy that style personally because i do like the you know there is a it's almost like co-opting another story like there's a story to be told by that car but it's been lost to the ages when it's just kind of a car that's been turned into a running and driving example of it but there's at least it's not put upon whereas the rat rod always seemed like it was put upon because it's the worst of both worlds it's ratty looking and yet these people are still afraid to drive them sometimes because they put so much time and so much effort into making it look like crap so exactly exactly and it sometimes it's just i mean they do this stuff and it's so impractical it's like why do you have this 30 model a you know two-door that your head literally sticks out through the roof yeah it, it some of the stuff like that just doesn't make sense to me. No, to me either. So, uh, speaking of stories, you have a book out there that is on, at least on Amazon that I saw. Can you tell us a little yep. bit about that? Yeah, uh, the book, um, Amazing Barn Finds and Roadside Relics. It's available on Amazon. It's available uh, through motorbooks.com. It's available on a few, and like barnesandnobles.com. It's basically the last, it's a few select stories from the past 10 years of me driving around finding old rusty junk. Um, it's been out now for two years, which is it's done great. It did so great that I'm now working on a second one oh. as we speak. Um, and it's really a nice, good, well put together book with a lot of really nice pictures and the stories behind them, at least in a little bit of detail. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you can go to Amazon. You can preview a lot of the uh, pages if you're interested. In, and it's the photography is, you know, great. And it, it's almost um, I've had a couple of other people on who had books kind of like very picture oriented. And this book is like the first one where I want to buy it and I almost want to frame each page because it looks that good. Like it's like that would make a good like wall art section not to say the words aren't that good but I, I absolutely love the photography you do when you manage to capture the like essence of these vehicles as they sit and strolling through the uh, pages in the book just on the preview which I will be getting it's uh, just so everything's just so well done it like how do you manage to do what you do so well I guess is where I'm going <laughs> With the photography, I 
I personally don't think I'm that great of a photographer, but I, when I'm there, I want to be able to make sure that I don't miss anything. I want to get, I mean, in, I have online a backup photo archive, and I have just over, I think, 200,000 images from the last 10-ish years of my photography. So I, I, I'm able to pick and choose the few good ones and put them into that kind of situation. But I want to make sure that I don't miss anything. I've been in situations where in my early days I didn't do that. And, you know, I like as an example, there's a 70 Superbird that I shot uh, four or five years ago. And it's in a barn. And I got a whole bunch of pictures. I got great pictures. It's in the second book. But the one picture, I was trying to get a picture. I remember seeing the original window sticker. Not the, like, the window sticker like from the dealership, but like the city sticker. And it shows that it hasn't been driven since like 1974. And I remember, I'm like, I thought I'd taken a picture of it, but nowhere did I, I didn't take enough to cover it mm. and get that shot. So I'd make sure that I go and fully document it. I have a nice camera, and it allows me the opportunity to, to take the nicer shots and uh, convey what exactly, what this kind of condition is. It, I mean, I, I kind of get what you're saying there, but there is a, I don't know, I think the photography is absolutely great, and I... I you know, better safe than sorry when it comes to that. So is there, um, like, a, you said you lost some images, kind of like your white whale images. Is there a car out there that's been, like, the one you've been trying to capture and take pictures of or maybe something you just lost completely? Oh, I have a, in my mind, well, I don't know, I have a, I have a list. I call it the, my barn find bucket list. And it's cars that I'd love to go and document in a barn or in a field, you know, or just, you know, neglected. And, like, top of the list is, like, a Shelby Cobra, like, an actual, like, AC Cobra Cobra, not, like, a Mustang Cobra. Um, I've always wanted to document, like, a real um, 70 Hemi Superbird being neglected. I found six-packs. I found Hemi cars that not weren't as neglected. Um, a Hemi Daytona, maybe. Um Yanko. I've always wanted to find a real Yanko, like Nova or Camaro, sitting in a junkyard or a barn or something like that. And unfortunately, just those kind of things haven't popped up. Um, but you never know. I mean, I know they are out there. I've seen pictures of stuff like that. So just going to take time. So out of all the cars you've photographed then and documented, is there a personal favorite that sticks out in your mind? Uh, my personal favorite would probably be the 69 Daytona that's at a horse farm. It's actually butted right up against a horse pasture and I've been fortunate enough to become friends with the family and I've seen this car every year for the past almost decade and it hasn't moved. It's a real 69 Daytona. It's been in Hot Rod. It's in the book and it's my favorite because it's the original family. Unfortunately the original owner just passed away two years ago. Now the daughter has it, um, but it's all original. I mean, it's low miles. It has a crazy story, and it's just everything you would want in a car, in a story. It's rare. It's desirable. It's unique. And every time I go see it, it always makes me giddy. So when it comes to like cars like that, do you – understand like why that car hasn't been sold or do you are you still a little perplexed by it no stuff like that i mean it's very easy to it's it's a it's an it's a physical 
thing that you can touch that will take you back to a moment in your life or it's a or it's a it's a directly attached to a memory that car is what their father and mother bought in 69 they traded in a gmc pickup truck and they remember riding around in it as kids and it was their father's pride and joy i mean or you i had one where it was an impala that him and his wife had dated in and they, you know they brought their son home in it and they just couldn't see it get sold and they didn't have the time or money to fix it up or the ability but it's that they can literally walk out to their backyard or into their yard and look at it, and immediately it takes them back to that point in their lives where they, you know, they picked it up off the showroom floor, or they remember bouncing around on the wing, or you know, whatever it is. And it's it's good. I mean, it's great to have that kind of connection, that kind of history with it. And yet, sometimes the people don't have the ability to do anything about it, and they unfortunately are neglected as they are. Mm. Well, I almost wonder. Do you think that if the vehicle worked, that it would be, it would somehow taint the memory in a lot of these people's mind? Because the thing that you remember isn't ever going to be as, uh, or the thing that you remember is always going to be better than the thing that you have. Like, yeah, I could see that. Um, I, I'd be more like the car has been this way now for so long. And they don't want to mess with it. It, it. Like I said, it's that it's sitting there. It's not causing any problems. I can look at it. If you get it running and driving, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of time. And it's good. I mean, it could be a something that brings a family to, together. Or it can be something that all of a sudden all these bills are racking up for tens of thousands of dollars in some cases on a car that used that. And like you said, it now soils that memory. Because as an example, that Daytona, that Daytona is literally rusting into the ground. It has holes in the fender. It's rusty underneath. It's going to need tens of thousands of dollars worth of repair work, and they can easily sour whatever good memories you had of the car. Mm-hmm. It, has there been a car where you visit it and almost like you want to rescue it, like uh, the people who go out and like rescue animals? Uh, from like puppy mills and anything like that. Oh, absolutely! That Daytona, right <laughs> up there with that. Oh man, I see that thing and it's it, it hurts. But there's so many. I mean, I know of a real tr- quadruple black seventy Cuda six pack four speed super track pack, which is the the Dana rear end and all that, and it's literally rusted into the ground. I mean, it is such a cool car and it rubber bumper car and the rubber bumpers are black it's a black vinyl top it's got the shaker and when i was there it was snowing so there's this i have a picture of the shaker hood covered in snow and it's oh it's it hurts seeing these cars sometimes but at least what i always in my mind i go by is at least it still exists a lot of these cars were destroyed in the 60s and 70s and 80s and even you know, the rustiest examples, I mean, you can buy whole new bodies from Mustangs and Drive 5 Chevys and all that. And like the Chevelle, the Chevelle that's sitting in the guy's front yard with the tree on it, literally everything except maybe the firewall could be re- – actually, I think you can even get the firewall now for those. But you need to replace everything. Is it worth it? Nah, who knows. But it's sad. Yeah, it, it's 
And it always brings up that point of, is it an original if you've replaced everything on it? You know, like yeah, yeah, that's the old uh, Washington's axe assembly. Yeah, um, you know, if you replace the handle, you replace the head. What's original of the axe? I mean, it's a real that especially is a real slippery slope, mm-hmm. and that I'm not going to get into because man, there are some opinions on that about rebodying all that that gets pretty bad pretty quick. Mm. So then when it comes to, has there been anyone who you've made aware that the car is collectible and they just immediately turn around and flip it? Like, No, not offhand. Um, I usually, I mean, I tell people right up front, you know, what I do and I try to educate them on what the car is and, you know, but uh, no, in my experience 99.9% of the cars I find are probably still sitting out there in a field or in their junkyard or in the garage um I mean a few of them I've been able to facilitate getting you know people to buy them but it's very few and far between and that's the exact reason is most people either don't care enough or I try to stay away from flippers and I deal with a very good group of people that are you know restorers or people who are passionate about the cars. Is there is there a car that if you stumbled across it, um, no matter uh, what the story was behind it, you would want to like put money down on immediately? Like, is there something close to your heart like that? Um, there's a. I have. For cars, I mean, I'd love to have a 69 Charger or, you know, a, a 70 Cuda. But for specific cars, like, I recently refound that first barn find. I actually have the grill out of it because they had to replace it. But I'd love to buy that car, you know, to have the my first barn find. Um, my dad bought new a 70 Hemi Cuda in 1970, and I still have the engine and transmission from that. I'd love to buy the body. I know where it is, but unfortunately the guy uh, won't sell it. Um, so there's more like there's a few certain cars that I'd go out of my way for, but I appreciate all cool cars. I mean, I'd really, I'd love to have a Chevelle or a, I'd love Mustang like 69 Mach 1. That's awesome for me. So, <laughs> like, it, it's so fascinating. So you... I'm, think about this so you got into cars after learning to drive you've been driving for a little bit um what was the car you learned to drive manually the first car i drove manual ironically enough is a uh it's not ironic it's just funny um a 1988 suzuki samurai (laughs) but 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 it goes back to actually a good point it was i was just 16 i believe maybe 17 and we drove past a 71 Roadrunner on the side of the road for sale for weeks. We drove past it going up to Wisconsin. One day I'm like, that's a cool car. Let's go check it out. So we go over there, and it's a three, 71 Roadrunner. It's dark green. It says 3D3 on the hood. It's got pistol grip four-speed on the floor. My dad goes, nope, can't buy it. You don't know how to drive stick shift. And I'm like, but, it, but we have the Suzuki, and it's stick shift. I will learn how to drive. So for one whole week, and I just was driving around this little Suzuki, learning how to drive stick shift. 
And the next week we went to go look at it again and it was gone. Oh. The Roadrunner was gone. I was like, ah, but ever since then I I love driving stick. Yeah. It, uh, it's it's something that once you learn, you become a bit addicted to it for whatever reason. So um, there's I'm, – I'm just so fascinated by the process you use. So you, you started doing this. It kind of picked up. You had the, uh, you know, big find, the Superbird kind of propelled you into more – uh, prominence when it comes to uh, a day in the life of you going out and looking for these cars what is that like uh, actually that's it's really cool I mean I've really stepped up my game with that and I've fortunately a few years ago I was able to discover this thing called Google engine at the time and now it's called Google my maps but it's a private map that you're able to pin locations onto so Every single lead I have, every note, every um, find, or everything, anything I see on the internet for junkyards, I pin the stuff on the map. I mean, I, I have literally thousands of these pins on a interactive map that if I'm if I have a free day, I will literally go look on my map and be like, oh, I can hit up these four pins in the next you know four or five hours, hopefully, and I will literally just go drive out and hit up pins and follow up on leads and all that. And it allows me to hit up a lot of cool stuff in a really short period of time now. I mean, if you looked at it, it would look, if you look at it from the countrywide view, I mean, it's just full of these little red pins all across it. It's really neat. It makes my life a lot easier in the modern, in a nowadays. Yeah, it's like, I don't know how people, like I know I've been facetious a little bit, but like, I, if you wanted to do what you did with that map even 10 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, it would look like a beautiful mine. It would be a whole bunch of push pins and a map and, like, string and everything, and it would just be like someone would walk into that room in your house and just go, oh, this is a crazy person. And now it's just oh, absolutely. Now it's just on a little app on your phone or on your computer. So. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, I before this, I literally had an Excel spreadsheet that was done by state and even that i mean i'd have to look at i have a big atlas i literally would go through my atlas and you know start going through and be like okay what's what town's near this one? Oh, okay this is near here and it would take me to plan out a weekend or a day it would take me a good few hours to plan a trip where now i can do it literally in seconds by just looking online i mean it's so great so what's the most uh spots you've been able to hit up in a single day Ooh, you know i never really thought about that um usually when i'm going on a big long-term trip like i was going to north carolina two years ago and i don't care about driving i mean i will just drive into the night i was able to hit up i think seven or eight different pins and some were good some you know i was able to find stuff and talk to people some were dead ends and that does happen i mean some of these pins might be I really got to start dating them, but uh, some of them, you know, are just too old and, you know, the cars are gone or, you know, they've been moved or such. But it is more often than not accurate to a pretty good degree. Mm. Now, 
has there ever been a car you showed up to look at and it's just turned into a pile of rust? Like I'm talking about like completely unrecognizable. Like that was a car, but you could never tell what kind of car it was. Oh yeah. Um, in a junkyard up in, in Michigan, um, the guy said there was a 69 Z28 Camaro in it. Okay. So I'm literally walking around and there was a row of cars in it. Just nothing, you know, nothing special. It was, you know, 80s, 90s cars. And I just happened to catch, you know, the the trunk lid of another car. And I'm like, oh, that looks like it has racing stripes. And they're literally rusted into the ground, crushed. It was an original 69 Z28 Camaro. Um, oh, you could just make out where the emblem used to be because, you know, it kind of had that patina where the emblem used to be. Oh, it was so sad to see. Um, that Chevelle, I didn't know about that one really, but you know, I'd heard it was a 70 Chevelle SS convertible and I got there and it is one of the rustiest rotted cars. I've, I mean, I, it's probably been sitting for 40 years. I think the owner told me it was sitting since like 1974 and it, I, I mean, it's such a, and that's one that blows my mind recently. It's such a rare and desirable car and it's, literally there's nothing left i don't even think there's anything to build upon because it's just been it's a convertible so the top rotted away kids shot out the windows and there's nothing to it anymore i mean the the engine's there i mean i saw the air conditioning still there the cowl induction hood's still there but man the body is just it's barely being held together as a chevelle well all it is is a vent plate and a motor Oh yeah, it, I mean it's it's a four speed, so it even has the twelve volt. So I mean it's like, I mean it's like I don't know how to present it. I mean it's literally just a pile of rust with SS badges and a VIN number. It's it's so depressing. Mm-hmm. When you uh, see that, do you are you able to contain how dumbfounded you are when you get to experience stuff like that, or does sometimes it slip out? Like, why did you let this happen? Oh, I always, I, I don't question why. I mean, I ask them, I ask them why, you know, what was the story behind the car? But I'm like, do you understand, you know, this car is possibly one of one or, you know, it's a Hemi Cuda. It's one of, you know, a hundred and something built. I mean, do you understand how rare this car is and how sad it is to see it sitting neglected like this? And they're always like, yeah. And they're always, you know, they're sad that it's been sitting like that, but. You know, in their world, it's just, it's always been there and always will be. It's, yeah. and it's so depressing sometimes. <laughs> Has there ever been a hoarder? Like, you knock on someone's door and, like, trash falls out from the top of the door as they open it up to greet you? There have been a few situations like that. Um, recently, I went to one where he had probably every bag of cat food. Bag, the bag, not like the cat has eaten the food, but literally he had every bag of cat food stacked up flat in this like deck area and i kid you not an entire deck probably 12 foot by 40 foot i couldn't see beyond the bags i mean they were that many um newspapers you know i mean there's some guys especially like bachelors in their 70s and 80s and that's where, where it gets bad it got bad years ago, but you're right. Like the the cumulative effect of like 20 years of crazy, like you said, it's uh, 
I forget the technical term, but uh, they're wackadoodle, you know? Mm -hmm. Exactly. But, hey, you know what? They're happy. They're healthy. I don't judge people. I mean, they can live their life however they like. It's sad, and I can feel bad for them, but, you know, I'm not one to judge. I have my own. um, Everyone has their little things, and so, you know, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. Now, Are you on your beater mobile? The hoarder thing made me think of this. On your beater mobile, are you the sort of person, because you do a lot of long road trips, are you the sort of person who keeps it absolutely pristine, or are you the sort of person who just kind of lets trash accumulate? On the road, I try to keep it clean because I don't like smells and I don't like things sticky or anything like that. Like, I'll throw out my cups. But, you know, like I'm doing Hot Rod Power Tour here shortly. I'll throw, I'll, if I'm too busy or forget or something's in the way, I'll throw it in the back seat and I'll clean it out when I get to a point. Um, you know, if I have a, actually some time to actually sit down and rest and there's a garbage nearby, I will, I will clean it. But sometimes it does get a little, uh, a little sad in my cars, <laughs> but I, I try to keep it clean. Well, we all try. Yeah. I'm just glad. I feel like we're very simpatico on this. I, I could tell, I could tell. So, um, absolutely. No, I mean, you know, as long as you try, I mean, I know people that I had one friend where the, she had makeup explode and it exploded onto her windshield. And for a year it was on there. Drove me nuts. <laughs> I think that may have pushed me over. You had to be a clean freak, but I, I'd take a razor to take it off her windshield after it caked on. Oh God. Yeah, that's, that's pretty bad. Uh, yep. Well, I I want to close out here. Uh, we're getting close to time. Um, with I call these the uh, inside the actor studio questions because this is the automotive podcast of record, of course. So mm-hmm. um, disclaimer here: because we are car people, these answers could change day by day. So this is as we sit today uh, uh, together over the uh, Skype. So I, you know, just kind of off the cuff what it is today. So first question is the question everyone hates, but I have to ask, what is your favorite car? My favorite car? Hmm. Uh, actually, I will say Mercedes SLS AMG Black. Man, th- that car just oozes awesome for me. I- I'd love to have one. I mean, the gullwing doors, the huge engine, um, new demon right there with it, though. Yeah, the demon is not, Again, I, there's something about the demon where I'm just like, if it had a thousand horsepower, yes. Seven, what is it, 47 or whatever it is, is just not enough for me. But, well, it has 840. Oh, that's right, 840, yeah. As, as it sits right now. And, you know, they have Hellcats, regular Hellcats able to produce a thousand horsepower now so i mean not from the factory yeah. but you're able to do it um i'd love personally just to try to take one and go on one of my adventures because i've in my basic rt challenger i've forged rivers i've done dukes of hazard jumps and it's great it's 380 horsepower five speed automatic it's it's fine for what i need but man to have 840 on tap ooh, that'd be some fun you know, I, I agree with you. It is a weirdly capable car. I, I drove it here through what they call Snowmageddon, 
and I just laughed at everyone who put their cars in ditches. I'm like, I'm driving a Challenger, and you're all put into your like Range Rovers and Jeeps into ditches. Shame on all of you. Um, oh yeah, been there with mine. Been yeah. there many times with mine. I think it helps that it weighs like so fucking much. Like that 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 helps. Um, track, oh, absolutely. Traction is good when you are the heaviest chick on the block. So, uh, what's your least favorite car? Oh, uh, Chevy Cavalier. The, the the first generation, the four door. My a friend of mine had a one with a two point eight, and oh my god, that thing could not move. <laughs> no, the, and the... It was literally a box on a box. No, they, those were awful, awful cars. Uh, <laughs> that is true. And I, I, I remember it was white with like a puke interior. It was, uh, that always will be my low point, mm-hmm. even though I didn't have to own it. Yeah. Well, you had to be seen in it at some point, and that just had to be embarrassing. Uh, exactly. So what is the modification trend? So we're talking stance, brodozer, um you know, truck nuts uh, that you find yourself uh, gravitating towards or you have a affinity for. Um, like that I'd like actually do to my vehicle? Not necessarily that you'd want to do to your vehicle, but you see it and you and you either enjoy looking at it or you'd want to do it to your own car. One or the other. I got you. Uh, I'd love to do like, I see all these new suspension and body kits out there and the tasteful ones, not the ones that are gaudy and all that. I mean, there are some nice ones out there for like the challengers and all that, that are, it just makes it look more like a race car or, you know, makes it more look like an autocrosser. Um, I'm not into that tacky stuff though. I'm not into the stick on vents or truck nuts or all that stuff. That just, that actually drives me crazy. But whoever made up that stuff, man, they are raking in the cash. Well, is that your, because that's the next question, is that the modification trend you hate the most, or is there one you hate more than that? Oh, I hate the stick-on vents, <laughs> especially when they don't put them on straight. I mean, it's ridiculous as they are, <laughs> Yeah. and then they don't put them on straight, or they put them on at a weird angle. Oh, it drives me nuts. There is a Toyota Prius around here that has every single stick-on fake vent that you can get from a Pep Boys and has it covering the car. It is so gaudy, oh. it's back to like, uh, okay. Like, oh. <laughs> that hurts. Actually, I, I should say, there is a new one that just topped my list. I've only seen it once. It was at the Chili's. Coming out from Chili's, there was a, a Chevy or a GMC SUV, the small SUV. Yeah. And it had Hellcat badges all over it. It had SRT. It had giant Hellcat stickers on it. It had the guy even put like SRT stickers like on his rims and all that. And I'm like, I I actually took pictures of it. I put it on my Instagram feed. Going, I don't usually do this, but this is so terrible. Mm. I didn't even look at the front because I couldn't. <laughs> I don't think I was. I think I was going to throw up. I, I do think um, some uh, some car enthusiasts should be deputized. And we should be given a rolled up newspaper. And what we should be allowed to do is we should be able to go up and go like, here's my badge and just whack him on the nose and go, no, stop it. No, bad. I'll take that. I'll take that one step further with a cattle prod with a taser at the end. <laughs> and like, no, what were you thinking? <laughs> yeah, you, you learn your lesson. Like, exactly. <laughs> so what is the car you hate to be stuck behind at a red light? 
Toyota Camry or Corolla. I don't know what it is about those drivers. I'm sure there's some good ones, but whenever I'm stuck behind a slow driver or it's a Cadillac, you know, a 90s STS or something like that, just I don't know what it is. I know, like, I go to my grandmother's house when she was alive, and every single time there's one lane, two lane road, I'd be stuck behind a Corolla. And it was a running joke. I actually started taking pictures of them and sending them to my friends going, yep, another Corolla. Yep, another Camry. Drove me up the wall. Still haunts my dreams. Oh, I agree with you 100%. And then they get pissy with you when you get to a passing zone and can get around them. Exactly. Then then I I drop it down a gear and, you know, (laughs) make sure that my presence is known. (laughs) You're just getting away from an uncomfortable situation. That's all you would do. Um (laughs) <laughs> an impediment to traffic i am trying to get away from the impediment yep uh what automotive sound or noise do you love mm, the sound of like good horsepower you know you can make whatever 600 horsepower with a four-cylinder but it sounds like a can opener uh but you know a mopar big block like the general you know you hear from the general lee or uh the general mayhem when it had the 440 it just sounds like muscle. I mean, it just, it's the epitome of muscle cars. And there's, there's a few cars. I mean, sh- you know, big block Chevelles, Cudas, Challengers, Mustangs, just that big block, good rumble. Not the over obnoxious where you like, you shake the windows, <laughs> but just a good sounding V8. Mm, I got you. No, I agree. I, I do, I do have to say, I like the ability to set off car alarms with cars. That That's nice. Um, but, oh, that's true. And most of the cars that have that kind of, like, the Journal Mayhem and a few others that I know, like, if you drop it down a gear and you get on it, you can still do that. Mm-hmm. But, like, cruising or, you know, driving, it's not that bad. Yeah. Well, I'm curious. Have you modified the exhaust on your Challenger? Uh, no. With my Challenger, I still have the lifetime powertrain warranty. Uh-huh. So if I do anything beyond, like, a cold air intake, it avoids the warranty. So I'm going to drive this thing into the ground, and then they owe me a brand new engine and transmission. Yeah, yeah keep keep that. That's a, that's a good car to have a warranty on. Um, but that's another hour-long episode. So what automotive sound or noise do you hate? Oh, fart pipes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Especially around here, where I'm at, there used to be four different tuner shops. And <laughs> my street used to be a dead-end street. So they would blast down here or blast back up it at all hours of the night. And it, I, it's just, a, it's such a terrible sound. It's it actually hurts my ear. You know, it's screeching. Mm-hmm. Why do you want your car to screech? That doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. It's, uh, I would take a train like next to my house over a fart can next to my house. Oh yeah. And I'm a train nut. So I agree wholeheartedly to that. <laughs> I love trains though. I used to live next to, in college, I used to live next to a major train line, and I could sleep through anything. What college? I I graduated from Northern Illinois University. Okay. Um, I was there for the shooting a few years ago, and uh, do you remember that our, our same town? I was on Good Morning America twice in a year. Once for the shooting, and then uh, our monster truck at the local Napa kind of went out of control and ran some people over. So both both great things. No, that's that's awful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the reason I asked is I lived in Normal, Illinois, near Illinois State and Wesleyan, and I live right next to railroad tracks. So I was like, that would have been a weird uh, coincidence. Okay. 
Yeah. So. Lots of good finds down there by normal. Yeah, no, there's a lot of there's a lot of crazy Mopar people down there. I didn't there quite. There is. Didn't really know because again, not a car nut until uh, a little later in life. I didn't know what Mopar even was until I got down there, and I got an education, as they would say down there. So, uh, in this, oh, uh, I'm sure. Oh yeah, though, like, <laughs> and if you did, and there's the Mitsubishi plant too, which used to build a whole bunch of Mopars too. So I'm sure that helps out even more because I even put two and two together because there was the old the old Diamond Star Motor Plant was an old. Uh, Chrysler yeah, plant right. before that, so that's hmm. and Mitsubishi's that deck plant's closed now. Yeah, that's it's sad. It'll actually, I I found out I like Mitsubishi's after they closed the plant, which is very sad. Oh. Yeah, um, Mitsubishi did have some good cars. Yeah, but then they had some not so great cars. Yeah, but they have a charm and a charisma you just don't get in a lot of other cars. So that's true. It's just like a Volvo or a Saab. I mean, they each have their little, you know, things that make them special. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, again, I go off on a tangent there and be gone for an hour. So we'll go on to the next question of what profession in the automotive industry uh, would you most want to attempt? Uh, head editor at Hot Rod Magazine. That's my goal. Mm. So you want to take out Friedberger? Is that how that works now? Or is there well, someone else you got to take out? Well, Freiberger is now above them. That Freiberger is now more like involved with. He's the head of content creation for all of the Hot Rod Network. Um, the guy who's directly the actual editor at Hot Rod is uh, Evan Perkins. And yeah, I, I'd love to be able to take uh, that spot eventually. Mm. That would be. Yeah, I could see you doing very well there. So, flip side of that coin, what automotive profession do you think you would least want to do or do you think you'd be the worst at the one i i used to work at a napa auto parts and it's a great job and i work with great people but dealing with the public and trying to understand automotive terms drove me up the wall i would hate to go back to that kind of situation um or the, another one is a PR guy for, like, a a product that I don't believe in. I mean, I see these guys shilling, you know, I'm not going to get into it. Like, the, the special air intake does makes you 100 horsepower. I'm like, I know that's complete BS. And these people are standing there smiling and trying to sell me on it. And I'm like, I would, I you couldn't pay me to do that job. You know, that, that would be... <laughs> Selling the, that sort of stuff, I think, would just like burn a hole in your soul. So you would feel yourself die a little bit every day. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. oh no, that that is. I draw the line there. So, uh, what is your automotive pet peeve? Hmm, pet peeve, um, going to a car show and seeing these guys that do nothing but you know the. They, they put the weepy babies on the fender and then they sit behind their car um, for hours on end. And yes. they're like, you try to talk to them and they're just, they're like I said, they're off in their own little world. Their car, don't touch it, don't get near it. Or the, the, even beyond that is the people that don't even bring their cars out anymore. I, I know this one guy, he has a Superbird, a really beautiful Superbird here in, by my house. 
and he won't drive it beyond five miles from his house in case of a breakdown. He will take it to one car show and one car show only. I'm like, that's what AAA is for. Why not bring it out? Yeah. It drives me crazy that all these cool cars are in barns. I mean, in garages, good running cars, but they won't drive them in case of rain or in case something might happen. It, oh, yeah, that's drives me crazy. That's what insurance and AAA is for, people. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Oh yeah, that that's nutty. So, uh, here's a question for you, and this one I enjoy messing with people a little bit on this one. So, you are going to be given a car that you have to live with for the rest of your life. Um, it's going to be your new daily driver, and you're not allowed to modify it or uh, do anything to it beyond the modification I give to you. So, the first car is you get a Mercedes SLS AMG Black. But it has been covered in all the plastic stick-on, like, vents and all the chrome pieces from the Pet Boys with all sorts of fake badges. So you have an SLS AMG Black that's pretending to be a SRT8, like, demon, and it's got, uh, you know, Shelby GT badges just covering the thing. Or a Chevy Cavalier, but with a very tasteful body kit. No, I would still drive the SLS AMG. I mean, I'd be a poser, but I'd be able to go 200 miles per hour and get away from everyone very quickly. And then my then my doors would open up like a gull, and everyone would be like, ooh, that's still cool. <laughs> I'm just picturing the, like, you're, you're going to drive super fast so no one can see you in the vehicle. And all the stupid plastic chrome, you're just going to try and get off it to come off. I, I know that's what you're secretly Ex thinking. Yeah. Exactly. You know, it gets hot enough because of friction over the air to start ripping things off. That would be my hope. Mm -hmm. so, that's a good one. So you made that one a little bit more easy than most people make it. So uh, when it Even though, you know, they, they did have that first-gen, you know, uh, Cavalier, the Z24, but that was a two-door, and it it's terrible, but not... As terrible, but then again, like I said, if, if it was a four door with the body kit, no, I'd have to set it on fire. Yeah, <laughs> just this flamethrower, just <laughs> like just out of existence. Molotov cocktail through the windshield, absolutely. Uh, that, that's a good one. Yeah, that way you don't even have to be close. To, I don't, I don't know. I think you would kind of enjoy more of the hands-on feel of being able to just torch it. Yeah. That's true. It would uh, resolve some satisfaction there. Mm -hmm. So. Um, this is the final question for the evening. Um, I think it's the most important question. I always save this one for the last. Um, really, I think it's the most important question on any automotive show in pretty much the history of time. Maybe the most important question period ever asked of a person. Um, what is the hardest food to eat while driving? Chicken Parmesan. That's a new the, one. The, yeah. the whole thing, because you got spaghetti... You got chicken. You got sauces. I mean, you need a knife for the chicken. You need a spoon and maybe, I mean, a fork and maybe a spoon for the spaghetti. I mean, trying to eat that while driving, not fun. Not fun. So this is typically when this turns into stupid shit ice done in cars, right? Um, but I'm sitting here, I'm going, you know, so someone along the lines, uh, Patrick Sandell said uh, a whole steak. 
would be very difficult to drive because you have to cut it up. And I'm like, well, you can eat it like a popsicle because you can just stick the fork in it and just eat it like a caveman while you're driving. Absolutely. I've done that. (laughs) Bravo, sir. You are the first person I know of. Texas Roadhouse in Wisconsin. I got a call that I had to get somewhere real quick. They literally plopped the plate down on my table. I ate the potato like a hot dog. You know, I, I cut it in half, ate it like a hot dog. Threw the steak. I'm like, give me a metal fork. I'm taking it with me. I ate it like a freaking, uh, well, yeah, you, yeah, like you said, a popsicle or something like that. Uh, man, we are kindred spirits when it comes to being just stupid shit in cars, apparently. Um, yeah, but the chicken parmesan, because they never give it to you in small bite-sized chicken pieces either. You need a knife. Cause, yeah. And the spaghetti adds an extra layer of mess and, like, complexity to it, so... Uh, exactly. You could, you could, in theory, like I said, eat the chicken like the steak, you know, to stick a fork in it and eat it. Mm-hmm. But there's cheese usually on it, and there's, you know, the seasonings and all that. So it just it starts going everywhere very quickly, and it, it I've done it. It does not end well. My you... Ram Charger still had the stain on the on the carpet from where it ended very badly. Wait, 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 wait. You've done chicken parmesan in a car? Yeah, yeah. My 1993 Ram Charger driving out back to NIU. Um, I had eaten dinner, so I had one of these to-go plates where it's like a plate, but it had like extra high sides. So I thought I'd be okay. You know, I, I had a little toolbox as my center console, so I'd try cutting a piece with my fork and eat, and uh, it didn't end well. Right. I, I, again, I'm impressed because typically I'm the one who's eating stupid shit in cars, and I'm this is the first time I've been outdone, and you've managed to do it – it with what I have to say, I think is the most correct answer in terms of because it's messy, it's encumbering, it's probably the most dangerous food to eat while driving, and you need utensils for it. So this is the new leader in the clubhouse. So I, I need to get this Woo-hoo! whiteboard. Yeah, no, I'm I'm color me impressive. So uh, well, thank you. I, you know, I, I, like I said, I do a lot of drive. Like I said, I'm always driving around the country looking for this stuff. So it gives me a, a lot of opportunities to do stupid shit. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> since we're, I gotta, I gotta, I know that this is the end here, but uh, I gotta keep you a little bit just to talk a little bit about Chicago specific food. Have you done um, a Portillo's Italian beef sandwich dipped while driving? I have, but the good thing on that is they give it to you in a plastic bag that's long. So you're able to eat it in increments. Mm, that is true. Yep. I, I have discovered that is actually, like, if you let it sit for, like, five minutes, like, while it's still warm, but it's, like, all kind of congealed, it's actually fairly easy to eat while driving. So. That's true. Another one, um, Chicago-style stuffed pizza, like from a Gino's East or a Nancy's Pizza. Yeah. Now, if you eat it when, you know, even a few minutes after it's done, it's just too mushy. You can't eat it. But if you let it sit for like 10, 15 minutes, let it congeal a little bit, then you can go ahead and eat it, and it's not a mess. Mm-hmm. I've done it both ways, unfortunately, and I can give you an idea. One didn't end so well, but the other one did. Mm-hmm. But I, I've um, I've done that before, actually, in the Challenger, because I was commuting back from Chicago back to Maryland, and um, I had a pizza, and somewhere around Ohio, I was like, Oh, I forgot I had a pizza. Pulled it out, and yeah, I know this might be gross, but it was like the perfect um, 
thickness. Like it had just consistency. Yeah, but it was still slightly warm because thank God heated seats. But I was able to chow down on it. I'm like, oh, this is the perfect food to eat while driving. Um, yep. Ch- Chicago yep. hot dog um, with the pickle, very hard, I think. Yeah, but that's all self-contained within the bun. Um, and me personally, I'm not a Chicago. I'm a hot dog and ketchup kind of guy, which is, I know, blasphemy here in okay, Chicago. I'm, I'm cutting off this interview. We're done here. I thought we I were thought, kindred yeah. spirits, and then now that. I, got, <laughs> I, I used to work not far from Gene and Jude's. Oh, and I fucking they love Gene and Jude's. Yes. Oh, I hate Gene and Jude's. Oh. I've had it four times, and nothing ever ended well with Gene and Jude's. Because you're probably the asking for ketchup. <laughs> Well, the first that's well, you know, they only refresh the water when the river floods into it. So, <laughs> I actually have a picture of my boss in his canoe in the in the parking lot of Gene and Jude's, where with the water above the uh, grill. Yeah, no, I know. I I I went there shortly after because uh, that was early ish two thousands. I want to say maybe it was better back then, but. Oh, same thing. You, you you go to Russell's Barbecue mm-hmm. over on North Avenue. Uh, it, you know, people rent and rave. It's so great. Yeah, not so much. <laughs> not so much. I, I'm a super dog guy, though. So that that's my that's where I go. Mm. So I like Jude and Jude simply because I like the fries and the hot dog and experience and all that. And maybe this is just a because I went there a lot with my dad as a kid. So maybe that's what I'm going. Got with that. Um, it was rated one of the best hot dog joints in America, though. So I'm going I'm to point that out. Um, yeah, yeah I, I'd like to see the, the backing and who paid for that kind of uh, endorsement. Yeah. So, uh, but, you know, it, it's, it's, it's Chicago, it's a, so it was a mob boss, obviously. That's how that worked. So. Oh, absolutely. Right. Well, you know that there was a mob uh, takedown just a few blocks from there a few years ago. No, I was unaware. <laughs> Yeah, there, there's a like some Polish, you know, private club thing that got busted a few years ago. It was crazy. Yeah, that that sounds about right for Chicago. So, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm. yeah. never a dull moment, let me tell you. No, definitely not. So, um, <laughs> again, we could we could talk about this all night. I I I figure, but I don't want to keep you up too late. I know it's getting late there, and it's sure getting late here. So, um. Where can people go and find your photos, your articles? Like, where should they go to learn more about you? Uh, well, I'm on Facebook as the Auto Archaeologist, or our, yeah, the Auto, yeah, the Auto Archaeologist. I'm also on Instagram as the Auto Archaeologist. I tend to post at least one or two pictures a day there. Um, also, you can always read. I'm in every month Hot Rod Magazine. Uh, there's an entire section on there called Barn Finds on the website. A lot of my content. Uh, I'm on the cover of this month's Muscle Car Review. Um, but you can also email me, um, or you can contact me through any of the social media channels. Is that your second cover or your first cover? It's a lot more than that. Uh, oh, fifth, yeah. sixth. Well, I, I saw some. Is Are you in the picture, though? Oh, no, no. I've There's only been – I'm a very uh, – I'm not a very good-looking individual, so I try not to be in my own pictures. I've only been on one cover, and I'm pretty sure the sales of that will make sure that I will never be on another. Uh, I'm I. This is a fine-looking cover. It's a uh, 
in, in the orange convertible Cuda with the girls on it. Yeah, I mean the girls kind of draw the eye, but you know. Yeah. Uh, Did you notice how they're on the completely other side of the car, literally <laughs> leaning out of it? <laughs> My friends are like, "Did they just Photoshop the girls in?" I'm like, "No." <laughs> yeah, who farted? Like that guy. Uh, that's what it looks like. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Uh-huh. Unfortunately, that's why I, my modeling career was shortened to the point. Oh well, <laughs> everyone go out and buy copies of that magazine so we can get more uh, pictures of him on the cover of things. So uh, it's been a pleasure to have you. I'm the screw this up again, Ryan Brout. Brut. Yep, Brut. Brut. I have it phonetic, and I still managed to screw it up. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you this evening. I'm going to say goodbye to you off air. Uh, everyone who's listening will be right back after a short message. And now i got to figure out how to turn it off. And all right, everyone, thanks so much for listening. Make sure to tell a friend. That's how we grow here. Um, follow me on Twitter, uh, Facebook, or Instagram. And have a good night. Have a good evening, wherever you are, whatever time it is there. Thank you so much for listening. Sorry, my little alarm just went off. Have a good one.